0: there we go hello thank you for joining us tonight um i am your host and comrade rob and uh a few of you may remember brandon from back in the early days uh he was helping out when a winter storm struck texas um yeah (laughs) that's
1: that's what i got yeah how's it going um yeah that in that uh interview i was there representing uh cooperation denton at the time our little north texas um uh, cool anarchist group you know the <laughs> that that somehow managed to rake in the the democrat um democrat party's donations um on behalf of uh, our, our the darling Aoc and like tapping all of the local charities to try to like get uh, people to fundraise for them. So, um, which all, I think, I think all that money went to uh, people finding housing and like, you know, just kind of like helping out for the, the project. So like, it was kind of wild that like a bunch of like scrappy people who just wanted to do community gardening and like have a tool shed that we all used in common. were like, what do we do with all of this money?
0: <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine Um, generally most organizations on the left are not well-funded,
1: not strapped. No, we're not strapped at all.
0: (laughs) That's one of those situations where it's like a, not, not a bad problem to have, especially in a situation like that. There was, well, I don't know how many people you guys personally help, but
1: well, I know that, um, that the actual freeze conditions themselves, I think in total, we we mostly served the houseless population in Denton um, because the shelters were not operating on a 24 hour basis at the time or rather oh, the wow. city wasn't providing 24 hours, 24 hour shelter in place for people. They were kicking them out at night. So we were wow. like, we we're like, people are going to die. So we snap raised probably five thousand um, dollars overnight almost and we just started scooping people up off the street and just getting them into hotels like getting them places to stay and of course like the hotels jacked up the prices to unreasonable levels for the quality that these people were getting but like anything was better than staying outside so i think between 26 and 32 people like we got off the street and then we got people um, we put together a crew to like get them food, to get them toiletries, to get them in whatever we had. Um, and so we had a, we got a very surprisingly like overnight organized system. We had dispatch, we had drivers, we had transport, like we had everything set up um, to kind of work as a network, which um, I think once the freeze kind of, kind of ended and things come back to normal, it's a little bit harder to get people to feel the pressure. Of, of helping out like in a that kind of way, um, which I think a lot of like left-wing orgs sort of suffer with is like the the kind of attrition that you feel in volunteering your time um, while also working full-time, while everybody else is working full-time, um, sometimes more than full-time, sometimes like 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And I think that labor component being absent for a lot of people is why it's hard to kind of like mobilize, like in the grassroots. Yeah. Form. Like it's doable, it's possible. But like that, that's that initial jump from like, I'm going to go from like peeping to myself to working with people in my neighborhood or my community to get something done is like it's it requires a lot of um, need, I guess,
0: a lot of like a, like a pressing need, you know, so right, um, we're not all you well, know, and, a, like, and a work stoppage probably helped as
1: well. Yes, that was big um, having people who just weren't going to work um, and who wanted to help like that. I mean, that's kind of like why I feel like so many organizations volunteer base is made up of people who are retired because like they now have all the time to actually do the things that they wanted to do or to feel like they're helping in some way. So um, if if someone asked me like, what are you gonna do when you retire? I'd be like, volunteer probably like all the time. Cause (laughs) yeah, right. What am I gonna, am I just gonna watch TV all day long? Like come on dude, like, so. But yeah, yeah, so that, that is a, I guess that would be a cool Transition and talking a little bit about um, the org that I currently work for or work with, um, ICNA Relief, ICNA is stands for Islamic Circle of North America, and they are a uh, a relief aid organization. I would call them like a religious relief aid organization because it is run uh, by Muslims, and but the, the people that they help is kind of is everybody, right? It's like um sort of like most faith-based organizations Um, the the main purpose of ICNA relief is to provide um financial medical rental assistance disaster relief um transitional housing uh for people who are just you know um on hard times so as far as as far as charities go i think they do a pretty good job our overhead and like our administrative costs are three percent of our budget um almost all of it goes towards the programs um so the largest being the community assistance portion, the food pantries the the free medical clinics um women's shelters and then we also provide transitional housing for um people transitioning out of uh, out of prison, or women who are escaping um, marriages where there's domestic abuse, or um, just anybody who like is trying to kind of get back on their feet, and kind of finds themselves choosing between homelessness and um, and and basically jail. Uh, so that's probably the second largest program we have. The last one is the disaster relief program, where during major disasters we basically just pack everything together, um, food, water, clothing, medical supplies. Um, I'm in charge of the, the van that the medical van, the clinic, mobile clinic down here in the South central region. So this last hurricane that came through Louisiana, uh, we were there on the ground for the relief as an organization was there on the ground for about two weeks. And, uh, I was there for probably a total of five days or so. So Um, A lot of that was kind of taking the supplies to um, places that were hit pretty hard. Uh, We were in touch with local organizers who basically would just tell us like, we need stuff here, we need stuff here. And it's kind of astounding to see how many people would just come because they wanted to help. Um, Most of our staff is on a volunteer basis. So I would say 90% of the people that were there were not paid by the organization. They were just volunteering to be there. And some of them were there for the whole two weeks, you know, they just got up and just went. Um, so, but, you know, I'm not speaking on behalf of Vietnam relief or anything like that. It's just me. Uh, just kind of I admire the work they do. I think that they're kind of approaching like this whole idea of a relief organization from the right place because most of the money does not go to their own pockets. Uh, it doesn't go to kind of feed this huge machine that requires um the existence of pain and suffering in order to 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 continue existing um or as an excuse to just keep growing bigger and bigger and bigger Um, so I you know I enjoy the work they do but of course like somebody who's approaching the topic from a left-wing perspective um obviously like what they're what they are doing is only taking the concept of mutual aid and sort of expanding on it, like and kind of and kind of outsourcing it to a nationwide um, like position, right? It's like we need donations from people across the country, sometimes multiple countries, uh, to fund programs that help people who are in need. And it's just at the same time, it's like the people themselves could also help themselves, but this economic system also creates the conditions where the poor and the people who need that kind of assistance. Don't have what they feel like is the time or the resources to really get together, um, especially because like we have not, we don't really have any class consciousness either. So the concept of kind of like aligning ourselves as workers um, and identifying like how we can address certain issues is is still like not on the at the forefront of our minds, right? We have no like shared identity, you know, because I think about right. like. In Chiapas right with the Zapatistas right it's like they had the identity of being like indigenous and being farm workers and also simultaneously being exploited by the state and by foreign corporations it's like they had sort of something to kind of rally around and it took 10 years to really build that movement but when it started like you couldn't end it um yeah here, like I can't imagine my town of people Um, all the working class people like kind of getting together and unifying in that kind of way, right. Or under that kind of banner. So that's charities kind of like act as this almost like a a middleman between the people who want to help, who want to, who want to donate in some way, um, either their time or their money, uh, rich and poor alike. Um, and acts as like a way of like directing it towards people who need it but it's done in such a, a scattershot way like most international most national charities where it's just like somebody in like new york can donate money and it's helping somebody in like oklahoma you know and while there are probably people in new york who need that kind of help right so All right but i mean that's that's just kind of like my my eagle eye view or my eagle eye look at that whole um,
0: situation so like how does your experience there, like, make you a better leftist? Like, what have you learned that you can bring back to the table, you know, doing mutual aid and things like that? I mean, for starters, how do they, like, Are if, if most of the organization is volunteer-based, I would assume that means the medical staff as well. Like, how how do they find doctors and nurses willing to do this for free, and how can we... Find doctors and nurses willing to do this for free. Uh,
1: a big chunk of our uh, of our medical uh, volunteers come from a partner organization called APNA, um, which is the, I always get the name, wrong hang on i'm just gonna look it up so i don't
0: butcher it (laughs) that's fair that's fair i I appreciate that actually yeah
1: the uh, association of physicians of pakistani descent of north america so basically these are people who are either pakistani or they are pakistani origin or descent um who are also medical um medically trained so the the advantage of having doctors in this org and the the fact that it's a nationwide organization is because that when you travel to a different state you have to have local physicians in order to administer medical care you can't bring in somebody from texas to start giving out medicine and medical treatment in louisiana so we every time we leave the state we tap doctors who are volunteers for opna and they come out and they work with us um for free for you know two three four hours doing medical relief and we try to like spread out the volunteer basis we don't want to like pull the same people too often um like i myself i asked you know my physician here i was like would you ever be interested in like doing volunteer work for um this organization if we ever come to denton and he was like i work at the hospital on the weekends and i work at the clinic monday through friday So I don't really have time. And I was like, Oh, snap. So, but as far as how do you find, um, how would you find someone to work for free or do it for free? It's like you, for us working as a Muslim organization, we have a very strong, like, I guess, uh, like faith-based backbone, right? The concept that like, you always have to make space and time for more people who don't have what you have. Um, so a lot of these doctors are usually like, they're very nice, but also very religious. Um, so they feel like it's kind of their duty to do this. It's like their duty to like provide affordable or free healthcare at like at point of service. Um, especially if you are coming from a country like Pakistan where like that's more common to find doctors who will do free medical care because the difference in class is very stark there whereas like here it's more of a sliding scale you can have somebody who's like right. class and lower income but looks or can present as more like secure financially um like you don't have somebody living literally like in a neighborhood it's like a basic shanty town right like that's not something you're gonna find here very much um but that's something that you'll see there way more often. <laughs> um right at least akin to to a shanty town um so we have a a large medical core that basically like exists to provide these services and if you have like a nickname relief um like clinic nearby then you can get free medical care from there anytime like we have one in plano and it's busy every weekend it's open um like we never have a day where we're not seeing patients and some people we have on phoenix i don't know we might <laughs> um but it's that i think like for a lot of the people who volunteer or do work for us like especially if they're if they're secure and they come with us and they see kind of the the people who are coming to get free healthcare, free services they will like ask me like you know well what happens if they need you know this particular kind of medication or this kind of like you know treatment and I'm like it's like they they see us or they die like that's that's kind of how this country works right it's that's kind of how we operate as a society right um, um, and I had the feeling that like if we passed you know universal health care tomorrow like ICNA would be more than happy to like say our work is done here boys like we can finally just like you know move on to other things like because um i think that that aspect of of the job is like one of the most i guess sobering parts of it because like you see kind of like how much it means to people who don't normally have access to like blood pressure medication or diabetes medication um, or who have like a major like pain or something that's going on with them. And they have not had it checked out in years. And it's like, you show up and you're like, yeah, free medical treatment for three hours at this location. And someone is like scrambling to get there, right. To see a doctor. And it's like, that's the first person they've spoken to in years, right? The first doctor they have spoken to in years, because they just could not afford the 150 $200 to talk to one, you know? Right. So, right. but I think probably the most um, important lesson from disaster relief um, is probably like just seeing how, like if you apply pressure on society, at least like at the lower levels of the working class levels, if you apply any sort of pressure, whether it's like a, a natural disaster or something that is out of the ordinary, people are very quick to sort of rally together and pool their resources and their time to help to help each other and i saw that when i went to jean lafitte which was one of the hardest hit areas by the hurricane Uh, on the first weekend we were there it was absolute mess um it was like people's entire homes were underwater for the duration of that thing so like all their stuff their furniture their whole houses were on their front lawns just stripped out wow. so everything they own is gone um like stuff is leveled or it's still flooded it was a total mess <coughs> but once we came back that second weekend when people had heard about it and they knew they'd seen the pictures and the videos um not just from us but from everybody I mean everybody was talking about it. You know, the feet like on at almost every like every hundred feet or so there was another relief organization or group of people giving away something, giving away free food, free clothing, free this, free that. And it's just like, when we got there, the second time we were like, do we even need to be here? Like, there's like, you guys have miles of, of people here to help. And it's just like, because they saw that it had to be done. They saw it needed to be done and they just came, they showed up. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of the impressive, aspect of it I
0: think yeah well I mean I, I can only imagine how sobering it was I, I mean like that, w- that was Hurricane Ida right yeah I thought so we, we talked about it quite a bit on the show and like we, we played several videos, but like the whole time, all I'm thinking is like, video never does something like this justice. You know, like it, it's easy to sit here behind a screen and be like, wow, that's insane. But like being there and actually seeing the damage, I'm sure was sobering in itself. Um, yeah, you, you sort of like, are you very
1: comfortable with kind of like things always being in their place? like society everything is very clean it's very like uh, you know people will have like you'll see a messy house and be like oh wow that guy's front yard is like trash but like to kind of like see everything look like that like all the buildings all the homes like down power lines destroyed signs like boarded up windows um, roofs that have been replaced with tarp because the roof was destroyed uh <coughs> it's kind of it's kind of wild like you're driving through it oh and also like just no power like there's no power anywhere right there's no gasoline anywhere so like once you got into New Orleans there was no gas just like anywhere like the idea I think for some people of like going to a petrol station and not being able to fill up their tank like probably for an hour from New Orleans and then outward there was just no fuel so the van we had to pick up three gas cans before we left Texas fill them up in Texas so we have about 15 gallons of fuel and gasoline canisters. And we always had it on the bus in case we like couldn't find the gas station to fill up. Right. Like what we were staying at the time in Baton Rouge and then driving about an hour and a half uh, to get into New Orleans um, wow. every day. And so the thankfully in Baton Rouge, there was gas, there was power, at least there was power on the western half of Baton Rouge. So that was that was OK um we were sleeping at the the local masjid and um sleeping on air mattresses and i was there with probably about a dozen other guys and um we would like get up in the morning at probably about seven and then go into town and then work all day and then come back eat like chill rest and then uh and then get back to it like the next day and it was just kind of like clockwork you know like that
0: right uh, that's that's awesome though I mean that's I'm sure there was so many people that were trying to do it but the fact that you actually had like an outlet to go there and help um, I, I think is great regardless and did your did your experience with cooperation Denton like I don't know maybe prepare you in any way for what you were doing there with hurricane ida
1: yeah i think um working with cooperation then it's like you you kind of get the sense of like the the front-facing aspect of of disaster relief the fact that like a lot of it is just person to person right like you're dealing with the public right. you're dealing with people who have, have lost everything um or who are like have very short nerves, like and like and you're there to help. It's just like you're there to do the the right thing. But like people are still people and if they're having a very hard time, um, then that's gonna show in their in their interaction with you. And it's like and for us, like working with houseless populations, people who might have like, you know, something going on in their lives where it's just like if they kind of act outside of like the normal social, you know, like dynamic, then like you sort of, like, leave yourself open to, like, kind of anything, right, any kind of interaction. And so if you're seeing, you know, like, 20, 30, 40, 50 people at a medical camp, um, you know, every hour, every two hours, then you're going to get kind of all kinds of interactions, especially if you're trying to, like, have everybody follow standard procedure and it's like to them, this feels very out of the ordinary, so they don't want to like you know do the standard procedure. They're just sort of like, can I just talk to the doctor? You know, it's like you know, no, we gotta check you in. You know, we gotta take your blood pressure, I gotta take your glucose, right. and your cholesterol, and everything. You know, so it's um you know it can feel very like um I don't know like there's there's like that tension where they feel like you're coming in from outside, you don't know what it's like, you know, etc. So. I think some of that helps play a role um also the importance of like being able to find energy where you feel like you have none uh when the chips are kind of down on the table whenever it's like time to go when it's time to work and it's time to like you know get your shit and then get it to the location unpack it you know like get ready to like start working you might think like you know, the day before, you're like, oh, I don't even know how I'm going to have the energy for tomorrow. Like, it's going to be, like, so exhausting. Oh, and it was hot, too. It was so hot. And it was so bad. I hot. bet. I bet. Yeah, I'm maybe, actually
0: like, really surprised yeah. that there wasn't more, like, uh, heat-related injuries and deaths than what was talked about in the media, anyway. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean like, I, like, I remember when the hurricane was blowing in, they were already saying, like, hey, so this is going to hit, and then it's going to be, like, 95 fucking degrees tomorrow. You know, like... You know. Yeah.
1: No, the, the humidity was the worst. I think it was like a hundred. So my first day or my first weekend, I was there. I didn't really have any like breathable, like working clothes on. Like I, I had like my jeans and like t-shirts and stuff like that. <clears throat> so I was very like ill-prepared. Oh, hey, Trisha's here. Hi.
2: Hey, <laughs> Sorry. I I'm, I'm doing well. How about you? <laughs>
1: I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Happy good Sunday to see you yesterday. again. <laughs> yeah, good to see you.
2: Um, I apologize for my tardiness. It's been the struggle of the juggle tonight. We were oh, having okay. technical issues earlier that put us behind. So I'm, I'm glad I finally got to pop in here and uh, take part in this conversation.
1: Well, I'm glad, too. Yeah, guess good to have you.
2: Thank you. Yeah.
1: So yeah, we were just talking about the, I don't know, the conditions in Louisiana um, when I was there, but I think we've probably probably exhausted. It was hot, it was tiring, and, and we, you know, but I think with anything uh, mutual aid related or um, like, I guess like related to dealing with, with helping people, it's like you sort of find the energy that you need um, when it might not be there at all. And so when that kind of like, that, that reservoir just kind of made me think it's like, is this how people got all the way from like where we were to a quarter million years ago to like now, it's just like that reserve that existed, you know, like somewhere deep in the the human body. It probably is. But, but yeah. So, um, so they really kind of facilitates, um, for me, I guess, like as a climate outlet for that. But I think the broader what this makes me think more about outside of ICNA relief as an organization is like how we can translate that into um, like taking that model and saying like, OK, how do we how do we give this to the people in a way where it's just like you can do this exact same thing. You don't need like a, an organization, a 501c3, you know, anything like that um in order to like change and, and reshape your communities to work for you and to sort of build that dual power base um separate from capitalism um and i was thinking about that when i was walking back um to my apartment with my wife and we were just like looking at like the space like where they were doing some new development or something and there were like all these houses all these apartments and my wife is like oh would it be cool if we could just like put in like a community, like farm, like right here in this space. And I was like, yeah, that's, that'd be cool. But like in order to make that work, everybody who uses it all has to pitch in and help, you know, maintain it, run it, water it, plant it, harvest it, weed it um and i was like have you ever tried to get people together to do that like it's like you get that initial burst of like 10 15 people are like yeah man we're gonna grow some plants bro and then like after like two months like you're down to like the three people that are like you know doing all of the work (laughs) and everybody else is just swinging by to like grab the the butternut squash you know before it's ready and so and then i kept thinking about like how how this economic system sort of trains everybody to like kind of just think about themselves or like think about like what's going on like inside their house or like at their job um but not really what's going on around them right like it's like who who even lives next door right it's just like who lives on the floor above you right who lives in the house next to you like that was something that i didn't really think about like like who are my neighbors um probably until i started diving a little deeper into um left-wing like i, I guess uh, theory was sort of like the idea of collective action and it's just like how do you act collectively as a community if you don't know the other members of the collective right so um i sort of made it a point to like you know what i'm gonna meet the other people who live in my apartment and um during the freeze that was super helpful because we all had something that somebody else needed uh, in that time. And like the guy right next to me, <clears throat> he had like a butane uh, stove top, and it was just like, you know, now I can cook food. And if I had not just been like, hey, what's up, man? Like, you want to hang out? <clears throat> then I never would have had access to that kind of technology, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's an important thing anyway. Um, like you said, when something like that happens, it's going to be people that are right there that want to help. Um, and, you know, like maybe somebody's got a heater and somebody's got warm clothing and somebody's got a fucking shovel, you know, like, I mean, you got to start somewhere. I, I guess actually like how much snowfall did you guys get? was it like enough to inhibit movement at all other than driving or oh no no,
1: no 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 it wasn't like uh like michigan snow or anything where it's just like several feet of snow you know like <laughs> right. it was it was mostly just the fact that like the infrastructure is not designed for that temperature like that level of freezing right. so i mean like the power grid literally just froze froze just yeah um and so the the guy that i was talking about who lived next door to me he was also <clears throat> he worked as a uh what is it um he basically bought energy from the grid for CoServe, which is a, a cooperative uh, power company and so he was he has more he had more information about like the condition of the power plants at the time and he was saying that like even like the the, the natural gas and coal plants um like a portion of them, like a portion of that percentage, like probably about a quarter of them were like freezing. They were just like, they would freeze and they wouldn't start. Like, so everyone was like talking about like, oh, the, the wind turbines froze, man. Like this is the future of like the green new deal. Like this is all renewable energy. And it's just like, bro, like the natural gas and coal plants froze. Like that is how cold it was. And that is how bad it was. Like that was more of our energy grid going offline than like the the 10% that's run with renewables. So like, you know, cut me some cut me some slack.
2: Right. Yeah. Not to mention being in that climate, they didn't anticipate needing to do de-icing measures like we do up here on our windmills in order to keep them functional in the winter. They were not prepared for that down there because who the fuck would think it would snow there?
1: Well, actually, the funny thing about that is that in 2010, when I was living in this exact same town, we had what was <laughs> Ice icepocalypse, and icepocalypse was like what happened in February, but like half as bad, like it was mostly East Texas or like North and Northeast Texas that were frozen over. And so they did a full survey of the entire Texas grid in 2010. So this is this is 11 years ago. And they were like, your grid is at risk of freezing. Basically, they're like, you have not winterized the grid. You need to winterize the grid. They found that out you know, ten years before the actual event. The problem is that the grid is privately owned. And so like deicing and winterizing measures for the grid means spending money that you you otherwise just don't get back. Right. It's just like to these guys, that's just a cost right that doesn't benefit them in, in terms of revenue in any way and so that's sort of like why having utilities in the people's hands makes way more sense than having it in private hands because if it's the yeah. people they'll just it has to get done just fucking do it just just winterize the grid to these right. guys we're like oh it's gonna cost 200 million dollars that's just money that i'm not gonna get back i'm not gonna do that so well that
2: level of greed is just so fucking disgusting too because they're more worried about you know keeping their profit margin intact than making sure that it's even able to handle inclement weather like that and look at how much it it hurts them and all of their customers not have those basic precautions in place you know
1: Mm, it's right. ridiculous. It's, it's very similar, very similar to like, um, companies that like strip back their it department because like to them, that's just a cost. And then like when they have a huge data breach or like a hack or something, it's like, they spend way more money trying to like build those systems from scratch again, or trying to plug those mm-hmm. holes when you could have just paid, you know, like a, an it security team to manage your shit for you. But they don't, it's all reactive, right? All of these measures are yeah. reactive because anything that's preventative costs money. And so they think that if everything is working as intended, that oh, we just don't need it anymore, right? It's like it's like our whole healthcare system. It's like we could prevent yeah. a lot of emergency care if we just like provided some kind of preventative service, you know, at the at the point of sale. Yeah. But it's like, oh, well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to spend that money. So, like, why? Why would we? Right?
2: Without looking at the fact that
1: it actually saves money in the long run, and it's like, right? Oh, fuck. right. It's
2: like homeless.
1: <laughs> Look at the numbers. Same, same, same concept, right? It's cheaper to house homeless people and give them treatment than it is to police them and make it illegal to be homeless.
0: Right. Um, but it's just isn't like, that a ridiculous concept? Every time I hear it, I'm like. How the fuck do you criminalize homelessness right it's illegal to like that's your fucking solution you know
2: yeah that doesn't solve it that doesn't help any fucking buddy
0: right well it helps the private prison companies
1: yeah and i think the 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 main i think the main sticking point for people when when you tell them like we should just give homeless people homes is that initial reaction of like well i have to pay for my home so why should somebody else get it And you're just like so you're you're telling me that like the reason why a person should not be housed is because you personally feel like they didn't deserve to get that home and it's like even if like it's saving you tax dollars in the long run that's still not a good enough solution you you can have a very selfish reason for wanting to give the homeless homes but it's that it's that sort of mentality of like someone getting something that they you know didn't earn didn't earn, didn't work for um when the concept is like if you provide that assistance that person can now live a much more healthy and productive life in the long run it's like that's good for you and that's good for society why wouldn't you do it, right? right it doesn't have to be altruism all the way down. You know, sometimes you can be like, make a very selfish case for wanting to help society as a whole. And it's like, I think like, that's kind of like how conservatives might process that information. Like if you just give it to them right. just like, this is good for you, bro. It's good for you too. You know, like they have to think Literally right? more
2: cost effective. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: you're right it is good for me okay it will save me money
2: Uh,
1: i don't know how we got here i don't know how we got
0: (laughs) i don't either but i mean it's cool it's cool right we buy them
2: right
1: Right. (laughs) i'm noticing like since i was on your show last time dude it's just like i I look like
0: I've, i've lost weight which is like so it's, <laughs> it's, it's a relief. I mean, like, well, I, got, I mean, you're working two jobs. You're busy as shit. You probably have lost weight.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I when I went to uh when I went to Pakistan in May, like when I got back, I was like two thirty six, and like since I've been trying to like, okay, my cholesterol is high. I gotta lower that. It's like I got down to like two fourteen, and it's just like seeing myself
0: in a video. I'm just like, oh yeah, no,
1: I can see it. I can, I can see it going
0: <laughs> right. I, I was actually going to, like, ask you that, but I I try not to because, you know, sometimes it's like somebody's losing a bunch of weight that they don't want to lose and then they're right. upset about it. It's like asking if somebody's, if somebody's pregnant, right? It's just, like, just don't. You know, <laughs> right. Let them
1: volunteer that information. You're like, are you doing something with your hair? Yeah.
2: It's one of those moments of just saying you look healthy hey,
1: looking, looking, good. looking good. yeah right right and then you get hit with that like oh i was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer actually it was like yeah <laughs> i can't see your pancreas so i wasn't gonna comment on the <laughs> on the pancreatic cancer but you know i guess it is what it is right so what what other what other um i guess like I guess thoughts about like the role of, of charity under capitalism come to mind for the two i know that like you know that uh you know you know both of you guys probably had some questions together as a group so now that you know we're all here
0: it's... well um i mean i, I was kind of just like wanting to hear your take on it largely but um and i asked questions as we went i guess a couple of them but pretty much like I want to see like what you're doing happening on a grassroots level. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where I wanted to focus my conversation on was like, well, and that's why I asked like, you know, how do they get doctors? How could we get doctors? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, that being said, in in terms of the role of charities, I think we're all pretty much in agreement on that. Um, but I, I, am glad that you found an organization that, you know, isn't just squandering people's money, you Yeah, know, a, at least their hearts in the right place. And that's really what matters, whether they're on the left or not. Um, I wish they had class analysis, of course, but you know, like you can only expect so much out of a charity charity organization. And I'm just glad that they're actually helping people instead of claiming to help people and just pocketing donation money
1: yeah uh, yeah it's right. I, I i checked out their their financials are pretty transparent our information is on cherry navigator i think it's uh, ninety ninety four percent of the funds go towards the thing that they're paying for and we operate on a very shoestring budget so like what we can do with what we get was is, is pretty remarkable it doesn't go to us um but as far as like how do you do this in your community like how do you get this going in your community it's like I would not underestimate the kind of connection you can make with faith-based organizations. I think like, I wouldn't really say like a megachurch, but like a local religious organization that like, where some of that money goes back into the community. Like I know that there's, at least in my town, we do have churches that do give the money sort of back to people, right? There is community assistance programs. Um, And so like some of our volunteer base our local um churches we pull from those resources <clears throat> kind of you can kind of draw on that sort of religious incentive to help right that's sort of like dutiful obligation right and like the, the thing with most projects or most like you know mutual aid projects is kind of like <clears throat> you need labor you just need people who are going to do the work right and the thing is is like a lot of working class people are strapped for time they just don't have the time or the energy to get started but usually once you build something like once you actually have something moving and going people will just start coming in um, on their own volition so we had a project in this town called the um i think it was the denton water project or the summer water project and essentially what it was was we had coolers that were chained to various like places in town, like parks, uh, local businesses that would partner with us. Like basically, it's just is it a cooler that said free water, and people would volunteer to check on it every couple of days, refill it with water and ice, and just make sure it was always stocked. Um, and the idea was that you know people who live outside, <clears throat> people who are houseless, um, during one of like the hottest summers. Ever, it's just like, would have water, would have something to drink. It'd be ice cold <clears throat> and it would like always be available. And the number of people that volunteered to do this, like out of the kindness of their hearts, so is like, they, I think they only did it because it was already there, because there was already people who did it, who set it up, who got it started. And then when people kind of see something happening, they jump in because they're like, oh, this is like an established thing. I'm not gonna have to like figure out how I fit into this or like what I have to do to get started. We have procedures, we have like stuff, like we have things to do. Um, And so it's the same thing with Cooperation Den. It's like, we didn't get a lot of volunteers until we had a system in place to help people and to get resources and food and housing to, the houseless, and it's like our volunteer numbers exploded after that happened like overnight <clears throat> we went from like 10 people who would just like meet and talk about like you know book chin and like gardening and like you know democratic confederalism uh to like 70 people who are like now all working on this like complex um system of like heating track of all these people and getting them food and getting them clothes Um, and then like following up with them after they got like out, um, of their hotel stays. And so that's, I think why Ichno relief has such a huge volunteer base is because like they've been around since the sixties, they've been doing this kind of thing for a very long time and people know them. And they know that if they show up, they're going to have something for you to do. They're going to have something for you to help with. And they also know that if they donate resources to them, it's going to get used in the right way. And so that same level of like trust and interest at the local level has to come from local people having an idea and basically just investing in that idea with time, sometimes with, with money, but for the most part, the labor and the time is how you, how you get it going. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of left-hand groups kind of fall apart because everybody has cool ideas and they're like, oh man, wouldn't it be so awesome if we like did this thing and like, they talk about it and they think about it, but nobody ever goes and does the thing, right. They never just like get up and go do it. Um, or they'll say like, Oh yeah, I was going to do it this week, but like, I'm really busy this weekend. So like, we'll do it next weekend. And then like that turns into like next month. And then that turns into like the next month and that turns into never. Right. So I think like just getting people together to do something. It's like the doing something is the critical portion. Like, you know, that that old adage about like, be the change you want to see in the world, right? And it's like, that is to me more of a a leftist expression than a right-wing one, right? The idea of just like, you know, oh, build the business that you want. It's just like, no, it's like change the issues you see in your community yourself. And if you do it, people will come help you you know especially if you're actually out there actively looking for help and you can show oh look at this like we're doing the thing that i said i was gonna do and they're like oh sweet i want in on that too right? Right. ideas are hard to sell results are very easy to sell on the other hand precisely. so, um, <clears throat> so i would definitely work where
2: they can yeah. see there's actually a spot where they can fulfill a role get some actual work done and see the product of that and Kind of makes me think of field of dreams if you build it they will come
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah that's exactly how it is and i think that's why you know a lot of um people when they when they donate money to like a religious institutions because like that acts as a focal point for their community right if you think about a local church like getting donations to pay for the church itself and the staffing it's like that's only possible because they have drawn on the concept of like they are a community like focus point. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, there is the there is a the religious obligation attached to that. But like if it didn't exist, somebody would have to build it. Right. And that's kind of like how I feel about like, you know, the mosques I go to, It's just like there are people who need a place like this. <clears throat> and so they get together and they build it. So why can't we do the same thing? with stuff like community owned housing or local gardens, um, or like local tool shares or time shares or anything like that. Like there's a, there's something called, I think the time clock or the Denton. What is it kind of That's right. <laughs> so there's a, it's not just for Denton. Everybody can do this if they want to, it's called the time bank. And essentially what it is, is it's, an exchange of an hour of your time or somebody else's time for an hour of their time or your time so the idea is that like people's time in this bank is equal right everybody's worth an hour of their time whether you're a doctor whether you're a plumber whether you're nobody if you do an hour of something for somebody you accrue basically an hour to request from anybody else and so you just exchange labor and skills um with one another right and so this, this time exchange is kind of like a way to sort of um get the community kind of involved in like seeing who's around them and like what they what they could do and if they need something it's just like okay well now how can I contribute to the time bank to request the time from somebody else right it's like in order to get you got to give you know and that's mm-hmm. kind of how mutual aid works as a concept it's just like You can't just keep getting you do have to give something right and if it's not resources then it's got to be your time you know yeah right that's one of the
2: things that I, I think is a beautiful comparison to highlight between how things operate collectively versus under capitalism because whatever it is that you have to bring to the table is valued in a collective
0: correct
1: Correct, yeah, and I think, the, I think that concept of just like we privatize the gains and collectivize the losses right it's just like the I think you don't see that anywhere more than during disaster relief right because like um, the government is very much like willing to like shell out the money that it needs for um, to like bring businesses back up to speed and to get people like their electricity and their power and everything. But yeah. it's like once it's shelled out all that money for like that sort of relief, now it's like, okay, now we're going to go back to business as usual where people are now reaping the benefits of like an economy that's back to normal, you know, on the backs of like all that money that society has paid, you know, to take care of this problem.
2: Right. Ooh, Something just happened with the audio.
1: Sorry, for some reason like my throat is like I'm scratchy, so I'm coughing a lot.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought maybe we lost connection or something. I didn't realize you muted your mic.
1: Yeah, on a cough, I try to I try to uh, mute it. So it's my it's the digital version of covering my mouth, right?
2: Right. <laughs> I had to do that a little while ago too. Um
1: I think it's we'll a water. Oh. Hang on one second.
2: Absolutely. Power All right. Hydration, man.
1: <laughs> man, I drank Absolutely. so much water when I was in Louisiana, I think I'd go through like six boxes in one event because it was just so fucking <laughs> hot.
2: Man. Excuse me, now I'm coughing in the mic. Your turn on. Yeah, it just snuck up on me there real quick, like shit. Didn't even have time to mute the mic. Uh, mm.
1: So Rob wants to talk.
2: So, into um. Yes, individualism versus collectivism. Such so a thing. Okay, there's there's some positive aspects of individualism when it comes to exploring like your talents as an artist and musician, things that you can create to bring beauty to the world. But what we see here as far as individualism is the capitalistic fucking drive of, I gotta get mine, no matter who the fuck I have to step on to get to it. And this is something we were discussing earlier with Zach too. Um, because that right there is a toxic frame of mind that we get ingrained with here from birth of that's what is perceived as success is have you exploited enough other people's labor to become a capitalist and you know, Oh, good job. You're fucking successful now. And that individualistic drive literally disconnects people from each other It's part of that toxic shit where people are more concerned about themselves than about the welfare of anybody else. And that's something that seriously needs to be remedied in how people think and operate because humans were never supposed to operate on those means. We were supposed to be collective. We are supposed to actually make sure that everybody is not just surviving but thriving. And that's not just a financial facet to have to deal with now we're talking a mental psychological and emotional healing that needs to take place um that individualistic drive of me 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 that that is what indigenous call wetiko the greed sickness you're literally fucking ill if you think you need to exploit other people to just hoard whatever you can. There's something inherently wrong with that and broken in that line of thinking to even get to that point of thinking that's what you're supposed to do with this fucking life instead of connecting with each other and actually caring, getting past your own apathy, your own fucking blinders and giving a shit about other life around you. And that's something that we've been discussing quite a bit lately because so many people are stuck on this individualistic path. It's like, okay, how do we steer you over here to understand why collectivism is so fucking important to our survival?
0: Right. I mean, it's literally how we got here. Think about... Uh, if we were this self-centered, you know, a quarter of a million years ago, where we would be today? And the answer is dead.
1: Right. Right. I think a, a really important distinction when we talk about individual or individualism is that to distinguish it from individuality, and because the the notion of collectivism is not separate from individuality. It's like, you are still an individual in a collectivist society. And in in fact, it's our belief, or it's our perspective that like, you can actually explore more of yourself when you collectivize the concept of survival, like, and not make it a, your responsibility kind of thing. It's like, you are more capable of kind of diving into yourself and into your relationships with others when you exist in a society where like that kind of pressure to survive is not only on your back, right? It's not it's, exactly. Everybody's got exactly. everybody. And so, because like art still exists in collective societies, like, you know, music, literature, right. poetry, movies, you know, these all existed in collective societies. Um, the best, like the best, uh, Russian films were developed during the Soviet union. Like whenever I was taking Russian coursework, um our teacher was like we're only gonna watch like must film movies like we're gonna watch like soviet films because they were just better (laughs) they were better movies than the new stuff that's come out that's too much like hollywood she was like to have more spirit have more soul it had more
0: there was more to it
1: um so this idea of like people were free to explore that (laughs) yeah right
0: and i mean as a musician i think about that all the time if i didn't have to you know well, I, I, don't get me wrong, I would still be cooking, but I would like, you know, be cooking because I wanted to, not because I had to to survive. Uh, that's an important distinction to make. But the point is, is, I wouldn't be slaving away in a kitchen for, you know, 45, 50, 60 hours a week. Um, I'd have a hell of a lot more time to play that electric drum set behind me or those guitars over there. Right. Like,
1: and i mean marx talks a little bit about that too when he talks about how you can somebody with having that sort of um independence from labor and that is the fact that they would like choose what they wanted to do because that was what they wanted to do not because of what they were they were boxed into doing so right I can't remember, like what is what that quote was i know you guys probably know what it is Um mm-hmm. uh, where it's just like a man can like i don't know like hunt at this time and then fish in the afternoon and then like read like i can't remember what it was um i think rob's looking it up (laughs) i am looking
0: it up (laughs) looks like it
2: (laughs) but yeah that's one of those things that speaks volumes because literally living collectively does make more room for the positive aspects of individualism instead of all these toxic ones that we are driven to just to fucking get by and justify Mm -hmm. our existence You know, like, I would much rather be able to spend more of my time writing music and painting things like that, you know. And I think a lot of other people would too. Look at how much more beauty would be created in the world. People were not stuck enslaved to the system just to justify their existence.
1: Well, also the the idea that like a lot of bullshit labor would just disappear, right? Because it's like we don't need people producing an excess of commodities, right, for sale. It's right. like we basically produce what we need when we need it and we don't yep. go any further than that. Like we don't have to like strip the earth bare of materials to squeeze out right. more money um, for people who own the shit that we're working on right it's just like right. this idea that like keep the people keep feeding the dragon hoping that like it's just gonna it's gonna innovate it's gonna make the world a better place and it's just like no motherfucker. it's like you can make the world a better place you and the guys making that guy the money it's like right. come on it's like you you don't have to produce one million tvs per quarter right for like only what's going to be like Sixty thousand customers and the rest of that's going to end up in a landfill somewhere it's just like once you see the pointlessness of that right, right?
2: and a, a big part of it is with this consumerist we have people companies intentionally make, making things to break down so that you fuel the economy by buying more replacements for it every couple of years how about we start building shit to last again and yeah yeah phones uh, computers every form of technology they're they're going out of their way to make sure that last year's model becomes obsolete this year so that you'll spend more fucking money no how about we make shit to last and then people don't have to keep worrying about replacing shit we buy it it's good for you know a decade and be able to only Produce what we actually need instead of the successive shit that just results in more landfill waste, more destruction of the environment to keep mining more fucking lithium, for example, for these fucking you know, and I switch up what we're doing. Back and go diving into things like hemp batteries that are more powerful. Have, greater energy storage anyways and through the environment in order to create them. You know, there's so much innovation that we can do to actually change things and step away from this consumerist ideal of the more you buy, the better person you are. Get the fuck out of here.
0: (laughs) You know? Right. (laughs) Right. So, uh, I, I found this quote, finally. Um, it's kind of a long one, but... That's okay. For, it's Marx. It can
2: be lengthy and dry. Yeah,
0: right. Right. <laughs> uh, for as soon as the distribution of labor comes into being, each man has a particular exclusive fear of activity, which is forced upon him and from which he cannot escape. He is a hunter, a fisherman, a herdsman, or a, or a critic, and must remain so if he does not want to lose his means of livelihood. While in communist society, where nobody has one exclusive sphere of activity, but each can become accomplished in any branch he wishes, society regulates the general production and thus makes it possible for me to do one thing today and another tomorrow, or to hunt in the morning, fish in the afternoon, rear cattle in the evening, and criticize after dinner, just as I have a mind, without ever becoming a hunter, fisherman, herdsman, or critic. This fixation of social activity, this consolidation, of what we ourselves produce into an objective power above us, growing out of our control, thwarting our expectations, bringing to naught our calculations is one of the chief factors in historical development up till now. That's the
1: one I was thinking of. Yep.
0: Yeah. There, I, I love how like, to, to make a, a point that most of us today would make in like 10 seconds. He takes like a whole last paragraph. <laughs> That's a very German way of doing it, right? It's just like let's let's spread this out, you know? Right.
1: Thorough, detailed
0: <laughs> and specific, yes. <laughs> Concise. Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was from uh the German ideology anyway, so of course mm-hmm. it was very German. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, I feel like nowadays we're getting to the point where
1: arriving at left-wing conclusions is a is a very is more of a natural process. Um, where it's just like you don't ever have to encounter theory at all in any, you know, context or even like read it, uh, read cool things that leftists have said. It's just like you can just look at stuff and be like, Man, is there a better way to do this? And then like kind of just right. reach the conclusions yourself. It's like especially if you're watching uh, like a lot of news coverage, uh, especially lately about like the homelessness issue, right, which is like a big, a big topic now, That like I think it's been a John Oliver sketch or not a sketch, but a segment on his show. Um, it's just kind of like, well, why don't we just give the people homes, right? Like, why don't we just like, you know, do something that isn't just putting people in jail? And it's like the only answer to that is yeah. not what we're doing now. Yeah.
2: it's basically criminalizing people for not being economically successful at either being exploited or being exploiters like how do you criminalize people for being poor
1: right and also also the idea that that of tying human value and human life to productivity right so like you are only worth what you can produce or relative to what you do produce um just like only being as valuable as um you know if you could own a home or you can afford housing it's, it's like if you can or cannot do that thing it's like well then you should just go do that thing you should go why don't they just get a home why don't they just rent an apartment why don't they just get a job and it's just like so so you're saying that the only reason we would ever elevate somebody out of suffering human suffering is if they're willing to now sell their labor to somebody else to pay somebody else for a roof over their heads right it's just like i think i would just be homeless thanks
2: that right there is why i live in a motor home home is wherever i park it i don't have to worry about a house note or rent none of that like as long as i have propane in there i can cook i can you know turn on the heat things like that because it's literally become a point of unfeasible to be able to afford a fucking home unless you have multiple people working multiple incomes coming in to even cover the cost of it that's fucking ridiculous our parents generation didn't deal with this when they were our age because they could be bagging groceries at the corner store and be making enough money to afford a home, a vehicle, fucking... A college
0: education, health insurance. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And the fact of the matter is with wages not having kept up with inflation and production, it's left so many people fucked by no doing of our own
0: you know yeah how many crises of Mm -hmm. capitalism have we lived through i mean i'm 30 years old and covid was what like the third Mm -hmm. one like once in a lifetime crisis housing market crash whatever you fucking want to call it this time you know it's always a once in a lifetime event (laughs) but i've been through like three of those Mm -hmm. now stop selling me that shit yeah and i feel like
1: for a lot of folks in our age bracket um either you got a career that like paid you enough to be able to afford a home about five six years ago or you're like a lot of my homies and you still cohabitate with other people in order to afford rent and uh for a long time that's what i was doing i lived with three people um in a you know four bedroom either house or whatever and it's just like that was how i could afford to make rent and still had money left over was dividing it up between four individuals, right? And so like your bills are less, your rent is less, like everything costs less Um <laughs> when you live with other people. And it's just like people are like, well, why do millennials still have roommates? And just like, because they can't afford a fucking house, my dude, like, right. that's what we would because love. We, we, we would love collectively figure out just yeah. how we survive we would love in some cases yeah, (laughs) yeah i would love to own a home it's like i would love to do all those things but we just we can't i mean like i tried before the housing crash i tried in like a 2019 to apply for a loan to get a home and they were like yeah you don't make enough money bro and i was like but the amount of money i would spend on my mortgage payment is less than my rent payment and they're just like well we don't care you still don't make enough money <laughs> so i was like i guess i'm not buying a home
2: right dude i hate the way all of that operates you know um I at one point i was though. looking at buying buying a, a <laughs> home that was you know being sold dirt cheap because of the housing market crash i mean they were only asking 35k for this place and I was approved. So I thought until I got there, thank you, dear. Um, and when I went in to actually do the mortgage paperwork, I found out that just a couple days before Verizon had decided to hit my credit report with some shit that I did not owe them because I'd been out of contract and switched to a different carrier for over a year. At that point, they hit my credit score and fucked me out of getting to buy a home. And at that point I'm, very blessed lucky whatever you want to call it that a few of my friends were actually living collectively and they were like come stay here you're not going to be out on your ass you know and it was one of those things like i i am not easy to live with i'll just put that one out there rob you already know this you've put up with my ass um yeah
0: a (laughs) a time or two yes
2: yes for extended periods of time thank you for that um but it's, it's one of those things that really showed me how collective living can actually make it possible to not just survive, but thrive. And, you know, it takes being in a situation like that with the people for sure for it to actually run smoothly, you know, um, but that's, that's one of the things that really changed my perspective politically is even understanding that of like holy shit when we actually all make sure that all of our needs are met together then we actually do really well you know um it's it's one of those things that i think our generation has had to become rudely aware of because of just how fucked this economy is and the situations that it's left us all in where it's really difficult to find any any aspect of living alone and surviving, you know? It's it's hard. If we yeah. don't fucking take care of each other, how are any of us gonna get by?
1: And I think another thing that um, isn't talked enough about or that we don't explore more is the idea of socially owned living, right? Not even just cohabitation with other people, but also that the people who live in a particular area like an apartment complex or a duplex or whatever actually own the building mm-hmm. or actually socially own the building as a collective right so you can live at all yeah, on your own beautiful yeah but mm-hmm. basically the cost of
2: you have your own personal private space yeah and the cost yeah. of rent
1: is basically going to be just the cost of the maintaining the structure of the building so i yeah. i can't even imagine well yeah to-
0: and i mean at that point you might as well do you know all bills in yeah and right that's what i would do that's what i would do if we were a collective
1: that owned the apartment i would just have all the bills come to one address split between the units uh-huh. and it's basically the cost mm-hmm. of living at the apartment or any repairs need to be done whatever you collectivize the living situation And you're not doing it for profit. You're doing it for the cost. And it's just like that to me, like, I feel like to a child, that would make a lot of sense, right? The idea of like having to teach somebody like a child, like how profit works out in this equation. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, you've got this cost and then you have this cost and you have this cost. And then that's how much it costs to run it. So rent is this much. And they're like, well, why, why is the rent so much higher than the cost? And you're like, well, you see, because somebody took a risk with their existing capital, now we have to reward them in perpetuity um, no. forever and ever for taking that risk. Um, so that's why they deserve to be very wealthy and why you don't, um, don't you see? Like we have a market, you know? like. Oh, it's like fuck
2: all of that
1: yeah <laughs> right I would feel like I gotta wash I gotta take a shower after that conversation <laughs> right right feeling dirty over there yeah. no just for just like, can... like yeah let's let's talk about how the free market works and the and the capital risk and like why you know Elon Musk is actually, oh, it's not liquid though, bro. He deserves the $200 billion that he's worth. Whoa.
0: So first of all, your numbers are a little low there. I actually just remembered when you brought his fucking name up that uh, he surpassed yesterday, I believe it was, John D. Rockefeller is the richest person ever, right? Because if you take his almost $2 billion Inflation from 1920 till now, you know, like, that's about $340 billion is the most common number thrown out. And Elon Musk surpassed that, I believe it was yesterday. Okay. Of course he did. Yeah. So, like, are we living in the second Gilded Age? I mean... It sounds like it. Yes, actually, I'd say
1: uh, it's we're getting to that point where it's now so out in the open that I think that like you can just you can just look at it and be like, Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, corruption. Absolutely. At every level, everything is fucked top to bottom. <laughs> like, actually, the, the 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 best thing about the Gilded Age is that that studying that topic in college is what made me. A leftist. Like, I was like a Tea Party Republican when I went to college. Like, I was raised by conservative parents. And I took a class called America, it was just American history from like, 1864 to 1929. It's a very, very small look, scope at everything. But you kind of see like the effects of like Reconstruction, the Gilded Age, like the uh, Great Depression beginning. Um and so like we read a lot of very topical oh. texts. And I think the one that really set me off was the book Death in the Haymarket, um, which was about the Haymarket riot and um like the police shootings and the wrongful <laughs> convictions of the anarchists involved. And so that right. reading that book, I was like, man, I was like, fuck capitalism dude <laughs> this system sucks. Like so my parents have found me insufferable ever since then so um that was that was 2009 i think 2010 and it's just been a roller coaster ever since then you know
0: yeah i can imagine Absolutely. i don't uh i don't often talk about politics with my dad i don't either but you know what i actually feel like the last time i talked to him
1: uh at Christmas time I think the only reason why he actually entertained the idea of talking to me was about politics and listening and not just talking to me or at me was because I brought him something really nice from Pakistan and so that was his Christmas present. Um so he actually sat and listened for a while and I was like I think what he expected me to say was something you know about like oh the government needs to do this and do that. Um but I really I was like you know what dad I was like well, why don't we just, you know, like, you know, us, like in the community, do the thing? It's like, why do we have to have somebody else do the thing? It's just like, couldn't we, you know, like, I'm like, right. I'm giving him like that kind of like very uh Rudolph Rocker, like anarcho syndicalist, like talk, but like not with like, any of the jargon, just the ideas,
0: you know. And he's like, right. he's like well, yeah, I agree
1: with that. Yeah, sure. I agree. <laughs> I
0: mean, I love, I love getting kind con- or like, getting conservatives with communist shit too like mm-hmm i know <sighs>
1: you know if you don't if you don't call it that then i mean like i feel like we just need to rebrand leftism in this country like i feel like we just need to take like instead of conser- uh progressivism or um like socialism or whatever we should just call it like um i don't know i think i there was a streamer who had a segment where he called it super capitalism where like everybody owns the means of production collectively so we're all capitalists Oh my okay i like
0: that okay (laughs) that would go over that would go over so well here you might be on to something like super right
2: god we could even get some libertarians on board with that one like oh oh, god you mean you found a form of volunteerism that you're willing to volunteer for you (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like it, for libertarians, the cure is just showing them every like Sam Cedar call in like clip, you know, like just back to back, you know, it's like, it would be like 1984 where he has his eyeballs like pulled open and he's just like watching like libertarians call into Sam Cedar and try to like convince him that libertarianism <laughs> is, a, is a genuine ideology and is not bad shit crazy. And then just watch him ask them questions like, so how do you enforce contract law anyway? it's like (laughs) (laughs) like you're always like you're always building society for them like one brick at a time you're like okay you sign a contract who ensures that that contract is valid it's like well you would need uh, some kind of good i would do it it's just like okay but he's got more people than you so why would you ever sign that contract it's like well you know there would be uh an enforcement agency of some of you like oh oh so there's now an agency is that a government agency you're talking about and it's just like you just kind of put those societal building blocks together until you arrive at the state again like you're just going back to the states mm-hmm.
0: yeah
2: it's it's funny how many things add up like that when you're reading through the the wishes and wants of libertarians. And it's like, that sounds really fucking cute, unicorn fart glitter cupcake motherfucker. What? <laughs> like, how about we work at something realistic that'll actually be functional? Because you yeah. can wish in one hand and shit in the other, see which one fills up first. And of all the libertarians I've crossed paths with in my life, I've known two that were down to actually do the voluntary parts of. You know, getting back to what, what libertarianisms actually were of libertarian socialism, they love to forget the socialism fucking part of it except for a rare few and it's like you you can't just have this soul individualism shit and no fucks to give for the other people around you. you can't it will never work yeah. Yeah,
0: society and that's so cool. why I feel like even even in leftist spaces, maybe that we should make more room for spirituality, you know? Because like, not necessarily religion, but I mean, you know, like acknowledging that we are one, acknowledging that what happens to you happens to me. Um, yes. I, I mean, that's that's really what opens the door, right? Right,
1: right. And I it always- really does yeah and i try to i try to sort of you know when i'm around you know my like fellow muslim homies you know and i try to have conversations about politics because um, like most i mean like most american muslims like vote like democrats they don't vote conservative right for i mean for very good reasons obviously because conservative party is just too fucking racist to vote for if even if you're a conservative person of color it's like the racism just turns you off so like they're already more down for like those kinds of policies. But like, I find it's very easy to kind of like tie in like religious beliefs or like it's like religious perspectives on on humanity with left wing perspectives versus kind of like doesn't that don't those two things map onto each other much more neatly than than capitalism and like things like Islam or Christianity like doesn't like those that economic system didn't exist, first of all. And number two, it's just like the concept of the faith itself is like we could do the thing that this text is mentioning if we all just pooled our resources. Right. That's uh-huh. that's kind of the crux of it. And I feel like early early Islam tried to address this by like the Quran mandates that you pay 2.5% of your total wealth, your net value, above a certain value, above a certain amount of money to the poor, basically. It's just money for people who don't have, who have less than you. Mm -hmm. And everybody has to do it. The whole society has to collectively donate the money. So like somebody like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, it would be a 2.5%, like basically a tax on their entire net assets, right? So it's just like, that 340 billion dollars it's like okay we're taking two and a half percent of that you don't have a choice you have to do the thing and it has to go to the people who live on the lower rungs of society and that seemed to work like that did seem to work for a little while um yeah obviously yeah obviously material conditions change with time but it's just like if you look at that at that mandate it's just kind of like okay how can you see that and then be like yes that But also get rich, you know, and like forget the people who
0: you have to also like become a landlord.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Become a landlord. Own as much property as possible, eking people out of owning their own homes, and then charge those same people who want to buy a home, like increasing rent every year, like for the for the opportunity. To live in your space that you do not take very good care of.
2: Carefully you're yeah. gonna make yourself feel dirty again, even
1: trying to express their oh, I, I feel BlackRock already hitting my photo, just being
0: like, hey bro, can you look at this I don't know. Uh, I don't careful. know, man. Like I kinda I don't know how else to say this. I kind of feel like Mao was kind of on the right track with flam I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's so funny you said that
1: because literally, like, over dinner, my wife and I were talking about that about Mal. She was like, "She's like, yeah, he did some stuff I didn't agree with." She was like, "But he was right on the landlords," and I was like, "Yeah, pretty pretty base take on landlord, you know, removal policy." <laughs> so right. I mean, it was like, it was kind of. Like yeah uh, it was a similar <laughs> um similar thing in russia with the kulaks right basically like the the landowners of like of the land itself right the people who own the farmland the rich families that own the farmland stalin was just sort of like all right taking that shit you can get the fuck out of here like
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so right. i mean no, oh, i like that too that's,
2: like oh you own a plantation now you don't then- it's a public resource get the fuck off our island
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah 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 and I think that sometimes when when people are learning about um leftist history or leftist uh revolutionary history they get upset about the idea that like there are people that are either going to have to acquiesce to like the demand to surrender their resources for the people or we're gonna have to just take them from them right And you cannot leave these elements in place and have a people's revolution at the same time, right? You cannot say, we're going to get everybody land, bread, you know, and shelter while people still commoditize and own those resources. And it's just like, it's like, well, I can't believe that they just kicked people off of their property or executed them if they fought. And it's just like, what the fuck do you think? like the state in that in that situation is doing are they acting on their own behalf or on the behalf of the people it's just like this this is what you do to push capitalism out of the country if you want to be a capitalist don't do it here and if you do it here we're gonna take your shit and you're gonna
0: kick you out so right well i mean there's a Mao quote that actually like really sums up what you're what you're saying here Um, A revolution is not a dinner party or writing an essay or painting a picture or doing embroidery. It cannot be so refined, so leisurely and gentle, so temperate, kind, courteous, restrained and magnanimous. A revolution is an insurrection, an act of violence by which one class overthrows another. Nobody's just going to be like, yeah, dude, here's the keys to the mansion.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think right. that the, the the idea of like the peaceful transition to to a left wing state is like is such a weird pipe dream. It's like why why would you ever expect these people to give you the wealth that they hoard so like close to their chests, right? It's just yeah. like we they, they spend so right. much to keep the riff raff out. Why would they ever like surrender it to you? Why would they not put those barriers in place? politically or militaristically to keep you from doing that it's like what do you think like the rich have been doing since the Roosevelt era slowly eroding those social programs to the point where now they're ineffective gone like deregulated it's just like they will keep chipping away at those bricks until they're just completely out of their way and so like yeah. the only way to stop the chipping is to stop the people who are doing the chipping and you cannot coexist with capitalists. You just cannot do it, so.
2: Especially in in context to how they even view that personal property, and it's like, Does everyone have the right to have a personal property of a a home and place they can live, grow their own food, etc.? Yes. Do you deserve to get to keep enough fucking land that 20 to 100 other families live on and produce their food with? No. That is going too fucking far. That is hoarding of resources. That's also exploitation of labor for the people who you're hiring at a pittance to work that land. In Fuck you for wanting to do that you know like you've got a fucked perspective on what personal property means if you're gonna treat people like that and be hoarding and exploitative, that's not okay you know so whether that gets through to them or not that's on them but even being able to relay that to them of like this is why we are seizing your shit here, we'll leave you one fucking acre for you and your family to live on and grow what you need. These other 99 are going to 99 other families. Yeah. Because you don't have a right to just seize that much property. And, hoard and I think your- a,
1: good, a good look is like what happened in Mexico after NAFTA was signed, like under Clinton's administration. And like the reason why we had so many people from Mexico migrate to the United States is that public land used to raise food for families to live on was privatized because NAFTA basically dictated that the Mexican government now had to privatize public land used and owned in common by the people for profit. And corporations basically were like, we're going to buy it because we can afford to buy it. And now people either had to adjust to the new labor model that was being thrust upon them. Right. It's like it's not your land, but you can still work it for a wage or they had to just leave. And so that's and so where did they go? They came to the United States and now we're like, oh, we need to keep these people out. It's just like the U.S. is the reason they're here. It's like we took their land from them. We sold it to companies like Nestle or Chase. And then, like now, we're mad that those people have come here to find new lives. It's it's like it's like right. do, you, do you do you where do you understand like how that works? Like do you understand the cause and effect of like stealing public land from people using it to live on, and then yeah. you, they would come to live here, you know? <laughs>
2: Not to mention even like the factors of they're indigenous. This all is their land before it's, it's all Turtle Island. Able to be cleaned by any fucking colonizer. This is Turtle Island. This is indigenous land, and Mexican people are indigenous people. So, who the fuck are these conservative cunts to be basically trying to mask their racism behind capitalism, which is what they've done from the start. The yeah. two go hand in hand and feed each other. Yep. In turn, to use it to justify stealing land, yet the fuck again from its rightful owners. Yeah, it's like, ah, it's so frustrating.
1: Yeah, and the, the Spanish brought that with them with the encomienda system, right? The the idea that like class is based on shade of skin color, right? And the whiter you were, the higher you were on the encomienda like hierarchy, um, until. Till the revolution, you know, like that happened, and even then after the revolution, the you know revolutionary government caved and signed NAFTA, um, and so fucking over the indigenous people who lived in the south of Mexico. So, but now we have like the autonomous zone in Chiapas, right, as a result of that, and like the pressure that that the people there felt, and the need to actually violently fight back against the government and win and win that struggle, and now have recognized independence, like or autonomy from the government which is still always under threat because like why would the government of mexico is just like continue to allow this to exist because it acts as kind of a as like a sign that like they're ineffectual you know mm-hmm. in dealing with popular movements um
0: so but because it's just the like
2: government been infiltrated by capitalism
0: right right to a much less extent than ours to be certain but yeah right. Yeah. but
2: the effects are still there and when you even have one person in leadership like that who's driven by greed you have a fucking problem it sets an example for others of like see look how much you can profit from exploiting like this mm-hmm. <laughs> right but, you know, uh, we we oh, really like do you. need a global fucking revolution
1: we really do yeah, I like sooner than later but anyway dudes it's after 10 o'clock so i think i want to have to part ways with you guys
0: that's totally fine i was um pretty much going to say um that i didn't really have anything else and that i want to go eat dinner <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah probably probably gonna be. the cook wants to eat what what is this right. i know right
1: yeah, okay, just you been gotta, over
2: uh, here They're probably making you guys hungry smashing on a delicious vegan dinner this whole
1: time we're talking no, oh, no, I had food already, so we're I'm I'm Gucci baby, Gucci
0: Gucci fan. <laughs> Speaking of vegan stuff, Emily made a vegan nacho cheese tonight, and uh, the sample that I got is better than the stuff that I made.
1: Oh man, share They're the playing. recipe, right? You yeah, got
2: competition yeah. in the kitchen now,
1: <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right, yeah. guys. Well- it was a total pleasure talking to both of you and uh look forward to, to more visits and more discussions in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Any, anytime you want to come back, if you have an idea or something you want to talk about, just message one of us and we'll make an it happen. Hell yeah. Hell yeah.
1: Hell yes. Hell yes. Alright, guys. Thank well, you Thanks
2: for joining us again. Too.
1: Yeah, thank you guys. Love Appreciate it. Yeah, love, peace, yeah. and solidarity. Alright, take care. <laughs> All right, later, guys.
0: <laughs> later. Um, here. So, for the rest of you. Oh,
2: never mind. Sorry, I didn't even think hello. about it. <laughs> Lisa want yeah. to say hi. I haven't hey. seen you in a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it has been what the better part of a decade. It probably has been a decade, shit. Who am I kidding?
2: Yeah. Well Almost. My Rev, Rev was I didn't see you that day. Yeah, it was like six months before that, I think. Oh well, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. It's been a hot minute. About nine uh, years, I'd say, not yeah.
0: ten. Yeah. Yeah, about that. Um yeah. anyway, for the for the rest of the viewers, I just wanted to say uh <laughs> Thursday, we will be doing... I don't even remember what book it is. What book are we doing Thursday?
2: Um, are we doing Emma Goldman's Anarchism and Other Essays, I believe, is up next? I think I, I so. Think was, I think the last book club segment we recorded was Eldridge Cleavers, so it's, it's time to give Emma a turn. I'm pretty sure.
0: Indeed. I, I can check on the podcast platforms, but I think you're right. I think it is. Um, Emma Goldman, that's next, but that will be Thursday, same time, same channel. Indeed. Um, what's next Tuesday? Will Will win?
2: yes, yes. I can't wait to see him again. He's fucking awesome. Yeah.
0: Uh, for those of you that don't remember, Will Wynn is the Star Trek communist, and um. Uh, Well, I'm not sure what specifically we'll be talking about this time, so I guess I can't really give you a rundown of that. Um,
2: I'm drawing a blank now on the resources that he sent over to me. Um, uh, the 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 need for a true revolutionary party of the working class. And I believe the other facet that he was wanting to discuss was the need for a global revolution. But don't quote me on it. I think my my memory's kind of shit, but.
0: What a dirty trash. I'm kidding. Yes. I'm kidding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, those are important things to discuss because. For fuck's sake, some shit's got to give. This capitalist exploitation pisses me off. It needs to end let's give you a nibble princess
0: give me doggy play all right well um i guess we can wrap this up now
2: right on you going to play the flambam <laughs> yeah
0: i'm trying to find it where did i save it i don't know
1: i don't feel like that about interrupting
2: Oh, our (laughs) sign-offs are always awkward as fuck. That was perfect.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they really are always awkward as fuck.
2: Yep, intros and sign-offs always awkward.
0: Yeah, because it's us. (laughs) Where is this? Is stupid. I thought I had it pulled up, but I guess not.
2: You just used it the other fucking day. I know! (laughs)
0: Where the fuck did it go? I guess I'll just use the theme over then. Fuck it.
2: It should be in the same folder. You put them together so that you could...
0: I thought I did.
2: At least I I thought I did. Look in your recents. (laughs)
0: Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'm working
2: on it. I know. It's a work in progress. We'll get there eventually, people. You'll get to hear some cool shit. Some original my husband, music. My guy. Make yourself comfortable. I'm gonna go grab some Rails on him. He's all congested again. Okay. But when you yeah. get done. Come back wow. out and we can, we can uh, pollute our lungs and Woo-hoo. cause some Mary Jane congestion. Woo. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I found it. Oh, my God.
2: Oh, before you go, do you want to hear this song? Let's oh, oh, sure. This one's an original. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'll like how politically driven it is. the <laughs> <laughs>
0: So the devil gone yeah. a lot of women